Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I am your host, Sean Needham, and we are streaming live from my house, actually, in Moses Lake, Washington. And uh, I'm kind of getting ready to set up a podcast studio in my house, um, just like I do have at the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Studio. So um, um, stay tuned for that so you don't have to see just a blank white wall in the back. And I am super excited on our midweek podcast today. It is Wednesday. Why is it Wednesday? It's normally Thursday, but depending on guest schedule, depending on my schedule, it um, changes. So that's the nice thing about the midweek podcast um, is the dates and the times can change depending on our schedule. But I am headed to Moab tomorrow for the Moab Rock stage race, three-day stage race. I'm super excited. I did that last fall. And now that COVID is all over and the, um, the war killed COVID, I am able to go back to the schedule of Moab Rocks in um, every March. So I'm super excited to do that. Um, stay tuned for some for some exciting posts uh, right here on my personal Facebook page and the Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy Facebook page. And also follow us here on YouTube. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube. However, we are not streaming live on YouTube. And why are we not? Well, because YouTube censors us. So we're not streaming live today. Anytime we are going to mention the word COVID, we do not stream live on YouTube because they will censor us. And I'm super excited to have Jen Van Dewater on our podcast today. She is a fellow pharmacist, and she also thinks a lot like I do. And I will tell you, one thing about this COVID thing over the last two years is that it's brought a lot of people out of the woodworks um, that kind of think the same about traditional pharmacy treatments, big pharma, drugs aren't the answer to chronic disease. And I thought for the last 20 years, I've been alone in this fight. And now I see these pharmacists come out of the woodwork. So that's one thing I'm thankful for with COVID is it's bringing people out so we can educate and empower patients to take charge of their own health. So without further ado, Jen, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Sean. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on. So why don't you just tell us your background and then uh, start with your story about, um, you know, how you, when did you see the light um, with pharmacy? So go ahead. Sure. Well, I've been in pharmacy since 1998. I started as a pharmacy technician. And back then in the good old days, it was quaint, quiet pharmacies, even for the chains that wasn't as crazy as it's turned into today or robotic. So I loved it. I thought it was a great field. And I then started going to college. It was probably right after high school graduation and started to go look into being a pharmacist. I figured I would have a more impactful role if I was the actual pharmacist and not the technician. And I really generally cared about people. So what a perfect fit. By the time I graduated pharmacy college in 2006, the pharmacy industry changed a lot. A lot of my years in college, I wasn't working. I was actually studying. So I really wasn't able to follow through the field what was going on in the practice. And so when I got out of school, I noticed things had changed. I then uh, spent a few years working in the chain pharmacies and I literally chain hopped because I could not find my fit. Every time I would be interviewed for a position, I felt like, oh, this chain cares about people. And then I would get in the pharmacy and it was the opposite. It was all medication therapy management. It was insurance company push. It was pushed for fill, fill, fill. It was then beginning to be pushed, go and give vaccines. And as a pharmacist, I didn't have time to actually sit with my patient, listen to my patient, talk to my patient, and figure out what was really going on with their overall health. So from that moment, I decided to look at independent pharmacies. I changed to independent practices, and I was with independent practices for 10 years. 
I did see a difference. The owners, most owners were pharmacists themselves. They cared about the patients, but they were all contracted with insurance companies and the insurance companies are an arm of big, big pharma. We're still having overreach into the pharmacy department. And sadly, we're still dictating to the pharmacist how to practice, what protocols, what treatments. And the incentive was always money. And the independent pharmacies were struggling for years. So I was watching them get lower reimbursements, negative reimbursements. You know, people were leaving to go to CVS or Walmart that had ties with their uh, branch of insurance plans. And so I was just watching things happen. Um, when uh, 2020 hit, the beginning of 2020, I actually, prior to March of 2020, when COVID actually came out, I was in the, in the process of having a conversation on the phone with a, uh, a nurse at a doctor's office. At that time, I was working long-term care pharmacy, and there you package meds uh, for people in the community or assisted living facilities. And that's when I really started to really question what I was seeing in pharmacy. I was noticing in my hands as I was packaging those meds, 15, 20 pills that people were taking, and that's at one scheduled time a day. And they were doing this four times a day. And I said, this something doesn't seem right here because these people on the most meds had the least quality of life. They had more comorbidities, more problems. And I was looking at some people in the community who were on the least amount of meds who were still at 90 years old jogging. Like I just figured something wasn't adding up. When we were taught in school, quality of life comes from increased prescriptions, increased medications, but I wasn't visually seeing it. So there was some disconnect and I was questioning. And I asked my fellow colleagues, but they really just said, that's just how it is, Jen. They're just not healthy. They eat wrong or whatever they can make an excuse of. So I was already seeing things happen. And on the in the conversation with that nurse, she had said, well, your recommendation is great. I'm going to bring it before our pharmacist. And I was like, whoa, wait, you have a pharmacist in your office? She says, yes. Well, he's going to be retiring if you would like to you know, apply for the position. I said, yes, I would love to. So got the process going. Things were looking good. He was retiring in May or June. So I quit my job, take some time off, take care of some things and figured in that time I would start this new job and I would be an advocate for the patient in the office. Well, a month after I resigned, COVID hit. And then a few months later, I was I received notice that the, the job, the position I had was terminated due to COVID. They were going to telemed and they were no longer gonna have a pharmacist in the office. I didn't know what to do. Then March of 2021, I reached out to America's frontline doctors and told them my story, just like I'm saying now. And they said, we could use someone like you to fight on the front lines for pharmacy and for pharmacists. And so that's where I am today. That's how I met you. And I'm so excited because with the connection of like-minded pharmacists, we are going to change the profession for the better. Yeah, I'm super excited too. I was, I've actually met a handful of pharmacists now through this journey over the last two years. And I think what has happened during this COVID pandemic, and let me just restate that how I always have, I should say the government response to COVID pandemic um, is, you know, it's exposed a lot of things. It's exposed corrupt hospitals. It's exposed big pharma being corrupt. It's exposed people that are pawns of big pharma, like, you know, pharmacies that have big insurance contracts that are dispensing medications that aren't making people any healthier. It's exposed those things. And there's a lot of pharmacists, a lot of doctors that have come out of the woodwork like yourself. They're saying this is not right. And unfortunately, Jen, um, or maybe fortunately, because it puts us in the in, in the in the media spotlight. You know, we've been ostracized. Do you agree with that? 
Yes, correct. And tell us about that. Tell us how you feel about that. Yeah, I was never a certified immunizer, just for one example, and how I felt ostracized for myself. So I was never a certified immunizer, and a lot of my colleagues would come after me. The number one reason I never became a certified immunizer is because needles make me queasy and I faint. So I always would say nobody wants a shot from a fainting pharmacist. Nobody wants to come in and their pharmacist can't handle giving a shot. But during that time, I mean, I never got the flu shot. And I would have, you know, patients come in and say, oh, you don't give shots. And then do you get the shots then? And I said, no, I don't get the shots. And they would ask me why. If other pharmacists there would overhear me, they didn't want me telling the patient my reasons why. That I, I don't believe in the flu vaccine. I don't believe I'm injecting myself with something when, when first of all, if I did get the flu, I would survive. I could just, I've had the flu before, you know, chicken, homemade chicken soup, you know, rest and, and hydration. There you go. Um, you know, it's some of the good old, you know, wives tales, they say, you know, it's true. That's not, it's not a tale. Um, and, and just feeling the pressure from my colleagues that how dare I also, because I question protocols when things would come in and I would bring like uh, the medication therapy management is really where I questioned it the most. I would get the information from the insurance company patient. So-and-so needs to be on, on X, Y, Z. And I would tell the fellow pharmacist I worked with, no, the patient doesn't, the patient's fine. I've talked with the doctor, but because of the money incentive, you know, the profit for that. And the pharmacist wanted to look good to the boss. They wanted to make the boss the extra bit of money. I was like, but the patient, doesn't need the med. Well, it's not going to hurt them. How do we know? So just so yeah, I and this was before this was prior to really being exposed to the truth through the COVID, you know, timeframe, I just never felt like medicine was the answer. I, and from what I saw, it didn't match up. So yeah, I definitely felt like an outcast among my colleagues, because I just advocated for the patient without, you know, knowing the real big pharma agenda. I was just looking at it like, why do you want to do this to the patient? Yeah. Well, thank you for standing up and, and specifically for the patient, because um, how somebody can question the med won't hurt them. It's like, seriously, I mean, one of the things we're taught in pharmacy school is that every medication has side effects, period. Um, so to say that is just, you know, un unbelievable. But they've literally with this MTM medication therapy management, I want you to go into that a little bit later in our podcast. They literally have become pawns of the insurance companies and 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 yet big pharma. Um, big pharma and insurance companies have created a cartel to collude together to basically rip off patients and dispense drugs that might not be needed. Um, now, I'm going to say this. It's not that I don't believe in in drug therapy. I do. There are some reason. There are many reasons that drugs are necessary, especially for acute things. But for chronic long term disease, diabetes hypertension, high cholesterol. I don't necessarily believe in drug therapy. I don't think it makes people live any longer. And I definitely don't think it makes their quality of life any better considering the side effects. We'll get into that a little bit later with the MTM. I want to go back on flu shots. And here's one of the reasons we're not streaming live on YouTube. Now we might get banned on Facebook for this too. I don't know. Um, but Tell me what your thoughts are about flu shots. You don't necessarily believe in them. Um, I've got a good story to share from like 25 years ago, um, but I want you, I want to hear your opinion about flu shots and why you don't believe in them. Well, the science that they tell you doesn't really make sense. Just, just, just basic. Okay. Just very basic. We're giving you a vaccine for a strain we don't know is going to be here. Right. I mean, that's the basis. And, and I sit there and go, well, then why? Why am I getting this if there's no 
coverage if I'm not protected. So just on that alone is the first thing to make me think, well, I don't want it then. It's, it's not like you're guaranteed anything, but what I would see, so that was my first reason. Secondly, I would see people get the shot and get sick. And I said, I don't want it then because I'm not getting sick. So <laughs> that was the other thing. And third, I did see some very severe adverse reactions with the flu shot. I have seen people end up with seizures. I've seen people end up with um, ailments due to the vaccine that never happened prior to the vaccine. And it was shortly after receiving the vaccine. So I saw some things happen in practice that made me question and say, I'm not putting that in my body. And I advised and always gave counsel to say why I didn't so that patients can make the choice. And I will say there were people that came in again, even with the flu shot, informed consent. It's the same thing. I've got to be if I see something in practice as a as a pharmacist, it's my job, it's my duty, it's my obligation to then take that information and share it with the patient. And that's what I did. Some people said, ah, that's not a big deal. Other people were like, whoa, maybe I'll just risk if I get the flu. So I was just being the, the good pharmacist, right? Telling people what were there, what, what could possibly happen. So yeah, but the science doesn't match at all. So it, Well, and you know, I think as far, looking back 25 plus years later, um, when I learned about flu vaccines, um, sometimes it's unreal, the things that were told in pharmacy school and about the flu vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I think back about it and it doesn't make, it doesn't make scientific sense. And mm -hmm. let me tell you a story. So I was working in a hospital, local hospital here in town in, in the inpatient, um, part of it. And of course, you know, hospitals are all big about vaccinating all their employees, right? So there was a nurse, the, the, the health nurse um, was going around giving flu shots. Anybody, she just asked, you need your flu shot? You need your flu shot? I'm like, oh, no, I've already got mine. You know, I'm good. And there was a doctor sitting across the table from me. At the time, he was probably in his early 50s. Very sharp guy, ophthalmologist. And um, he just politely, just his personality politely, you know, just said, no, uh, I don't need, no, I'm good. And um, then after she left, he started talking to me and he said, um, and, I, and I will never forget this conversation because it really made me wake up. I wasn't there yet, but this is what he said. You know, he's a doctor. I'm a pharmacist. We should have thought about this a long time ago, but here's what he said. I think the flu vaccine is kind of like voodoo medicine. He says, we're going to try to predict what kind of flu strain is going to be in the United States this year. And, you know, maybe... 40 years ago, when you had to come across the water on boat, or most people came across on boat, fine. But considering we can all be in China or Hong Kong or whatever in eight hours on an airplane, you're telling me we're going to guess what kind of flu strain it is. That does not sound very scientific to me. I mean, and so I think back about that conversation and um, – and again, it's informed consent to me and it's individual right to the patient. If they want to do it and, they, and, they, and they're educated by their doctor, their pharmacist, whatever, that is up to them. Um, I just think the science behind flu vaccines is really not there. Um, and on that topic, you know, COVID is kind of like an influenza. It's a coronavirus and it mutates rapidly also. So when they first came out with the COVID-19 vaccine, I mean, Janet and I are asking ourselves, what are we going to do? Make a new, make a vaccine every, every couple of years. Right. Uh, yeah. That's, that's their point. Plan. Yeah. That's their plan. You have to right. That's their plan. Right. That's their plan. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So 
Tell me about MTM or medication therapy management. I remember I had kind of gotten out of the insurance market. We haven't built insurance in our pharmacy at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy since 2002. And MTM just got in after that. And I remember, um, you know, local pharmacy organizations or state pharmacy organizations talking about how cool MTM was going to be. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pharmacists are going to get paid to do medication therapy management. How cool is that, right? Mm -hmm. well, what happened around that time also, Jan, in 2006, 2007? Do you remember? I was just graduating school, so probably not. <laughs> One of the big changes that happened was Medicare Part D went into effect. Ah, yeah. So in 1998, when I graduated in pharmacy school, I'm sorry, in 1994, when I graduated in pharmacy school and up until like 2006, 2007, there was no Medicare, there was no Medicare drug coverage. Mm -hmm. So most all senior patients were cash, which means the prices had to be competitive. The prices were lower and drug companies were just waiting for some kind of Medicare Part D thing to pass mm -hmm. so they could raise their prices. Um, and, um, also brag to pharmacists, how we're going to use pharmacists to help medication therapy management, and we're going to pay them to do that. So fast forward to MTM pharmacists are used as pawns to basically start new medications on patients. Cause this patient has a risk of cardiovascular disease and they need a statin, right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? Cause I've never actually been in the middle of it. Yes. So it was exciting at first hearing that we would actually be a part of therapy management, right? Because we're kind of, most of the time pharmacists are kind of left off unless the doctor needs something. Like a lot of times doctors would call with questions and I'd be excited because I felt like I could actually use my brain that I, you know, I was like, oh, I get to research. I get to look into something. Um, but a lot of times we were just kind of there to just be the pill counters and bottle labelers and just get the meds to the patient. And so when this idea kind of came forth, it was like, great, we can be more active, hands-on and involved. When it, when I started to realize what it was, it kind of made, it had me questioning. So the recommendation was coming from the insurance company. So the insurance company sends out a notification through email, through fax, the patient name, their med history and saying, we want to either switch to a new medication that's formulary because it's about profit, or we want to have the add to the patient. The patient is, like you say, cardiovascular risk, type 2 diabetes. They, they need to be on a statin because we want to prevent cholesterol, high cholesterol. But their cholesterol levels were, were well, well in range. So I'm like, why would we want to add a medication without a need for just to prevent something we don't even know is going to happen, which like we talked about side effects with everything potentially putting the patient in harm's way, the benefits versus the risk, right? That was all pharmacy school too. I didn't see a benefit. And so I called the doctor and I explained to them what the insurance company was looking for, but I never tried to persuade the doctor to agree with the medication therapy management. I always explained to them why I advised against it. And I don't think there was ever one I actually probably put through because I would get in trouble from my superiors all the time because I wasn't making them extra money. My MTMs were all fails <laughs> um, because that's then I used the power as the pharmacist to do therapy management. I did it in the right way, not the wrong way. So yeah, it came out, it came out and it was only about profit. So if, if a pharmacist can get the doctor to say, yes, 
will change the med, add a med, anything that the request is coming from that MTM, then that pharmacy and not the pharmacist, okay, it's the pharmacy that gets paid. Whether it's a chain pharmacy, whether it's an independent pharmacy, the pharmacist does not benefit from this. So it sounded like it was going to be all about the pharmacist. We are just the, you know, in between the messenger. It really, the payment goes to the, the organization or the, the business. It does not go to the pharmacist. So yeah, that's how it would work. Well, and pharmacists have literally become pawns in those situations. Mm -hmm. um, and they're really just promoting, they're promoting uh, big pharma and insurance companies. And let's talk about the, um, when an insurance company suggests that you get switched to something, a patient gets switched to something else, um, one of the reasons why, the major reason why is because they have an agreement with that drug company mm -hmm. and there's kickbacks giving. Is that correct, Jen? That is, that is correct. Absolutely correct. Those yeah. drug companies will pay those insurance companies to put them on their drug. I mean, it is, if people knew the industry and I'm actually going to, um, from our call yesterday of that group of pharmacists we had on our call, I'm actually going to interview Rob. We're going to talk more about that. But mm -hmm. if people knew the collusion, the corruption, the mob-like tactics that went on with big pharma, pharmacies, and insurance companies, they it, it's amazing it's legal. I mean, because in any other industry, it would be illegal. They're, they're literally it, – it, it, they, they've created a cartel and are using patients as, as um, for profit. I mean, it's just – And the patients don't even know. know. And the patients don't know. The no. patients, because sadly, neither do the doctors. In, in the hospitalist you know, world, you know, there are a lot of doctors that believe that they have to prescribe every time a patient shows up with a problem, they just go, here's a pill for that. Here's a pill for that. Here's a pill. And then the patient doesn't know either. They go to the pharmacy and then that pharmacy doesn't know. And the patients get piled on with meds. But when you take the 40,000 foot view and you look down and you go, oh, it's all connecting and it's leading to one source. Oh, that's right. Big pharma. You know, and and then realizing the patient gets left behind. The patient's the one that suffers and their quality of life diminishes. They they have adverse events, side effects. I mean, just so many things that could happen. And to help a patient realize that when they do come to realize that, to actually get them to go back the other way, it's a process because now they've started medications. Now we've got to look at their chart, figure out how to help them back down in a proper way help them in nutrition, help them in mm -hmm. wellness, right? So it's, it's not like it's a quick fix. Oh, just stop your meds and you're good. You and I both know we do not recommend anyone to just stop. There's going to be a process and a plan with the right pharmacist and the right team of professional doctors, naturopaths, dietitians. We've got to all come together and figure out how to help that patient detox because they've been going through this with med after med. And a lot of times people don't even realize when a new ailment or a new disease or some comorbidity comes up, it could be due to being on prescribed meds for so long. Um, Robert will probably go into this with you because he's explained this to me. When you're young and you get an injury, you run to the pharmacy without going to the pharmacy counter off the shelf, you can get ibuprofen. You start taking it around the clock because you injured your knee, injured your back, right? You take it all the time, all through your thirties. And then in your forties, you're like, mm, got a little stomach problem, a little acid reflux. Then you go back to the pharmacy. Now it's over the counter. 
Prilosec, okay, right? You start pumping your body with that. That then starts depleting your body's natural minerals because while you're doing, everything is a chain reaction. And Robert explains this much better than I do, so please ask him. But it made me realize every time a, a medication is taken and they're being pushed to over the counter so that people can choose for themselves, it's really actually harming them. By the time they get to their 60s or 70s and they're now piled on a pill, a pill, a pill for each thing that started with something so small as an injury in their 30s, now the person's going, wait a minute, I'm on like 10 medications that really something minor could have been done to prevent the pain from that injury. There's so many other options out there for people, but they, you think the pill is the quick fix, but in the long run, you're actually hurting yourself more. And like you, I'm not against medicine. It's just finding, we need to help people understand what could happen with the use of these long-term with the use of these without the guidance of a pharmacist or a doctor who is aware, you know, and trying to help the patient. So yeah, big pharma makes a lifelong patient by putting everything over the counter. They're going to need more meds. We had a guy on our podcast um, that worked for big pharma and he was a recovering big pharma employee. And he said just the same thing, Jen. He said that big pharma's agenda is to get, people on drugs that cause side effects that later on they can treat. And, you know, I'm not saying this is true or not. I really don't know. But when you look at the incidence of cancer that has come up over the last 30 years, um, cancer is up, cardiovascular disease is up. Yet we have these magic statins that prevent cardiovascular disease, but heart attacks are at our time high. So do you think that big pharma really wants people to stop having heart attacks? I mean, seriously, I mean, it doesn't look like it. So I want to talk about de-prescribing after we, after I show you a comment from our Facebook and you comment on this. Okay. Can you read that, Jen? Yep. Mm-hmm. Alan Huber is uh, one of our viewers from Florida. Go ahead and comment on this. If you know about this. Yes. Google has been uh, messing with the, the search engines for sure. Um, but we are pushing back and I'm not in the tech crew with the with the team but yes there has been pushback coming and it's not going to be just america's frontline doctors it'll be anyone that speaking truth will be pushed away and we're losing sources to refer to because DuckDuckGo, i heard was bought out by google so we're losing these search engines that will be you know not censoring people and freedom and trying to help people find answers so absolutely right I actually use Brave. I don't know if that one is one that's going to be, I mean, I'm just trying to find ones where I see they're not being censored, but they, I, I do notice there are times I search stuff on Brave and I'm being, has to take me down a few to find what I'm really looking for. But yeah, we have to start finding other search engines besides Google. And if we start pulling away, just like big pharma, if we start pulling away from the big, the big tech, the big ag, the big education, we got to pull away from those big, and start, you know, supporting pharmacies like yours, pharmacies like Roberts, other freedom independent pharmacies. We got to just support those that are aligned with us. Same thing goes for big tech. Find those that, that are aligned with us and support them. Don't go back to using um, the ones that are censoring us. Well, I think another another way to just get this information out, even if search engines are, um, you know, um, eliminating eliminating things from from the search 
I think one thing is, is, is podcasts like this, Jen, you know, so people can follow our podcast and they can, you know, find out truth. Um, and hopefully they won't censor our podcast, although we've been censored on every platform besides Rumble so far. So we've even been censored on the podcast forums and the podcast forums. The only one we were censored on was when um, the guy, Sam Tran, who used to work for Big Pharma, he just let it he let it out. And he said some things about Fauci that turned out to be true and they, they censored it, um, you know, and so the truth eventually comes out. It, it always will. But that's one of the reasons that's our goal. Of this podcast is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health. Correct. So you've talked about de-prescribing. I don't know if you mentioned on this podcast, but we've talked about it before. Tell patient, tell, tell our listeners and viewers as a pharmacist, what we do when we de-prescribe medications. I know it's kind of an oxymoron for pharmacists (laughs) to say we want to see people on less medications. Well, because there's been such over prescribing, right? We, I I mean, I saw it, you've seen it, you know, being in the pharmacy and each med leads to the need for another med because of the side effect, adverse reaction and so on. So in deep prescribing, health professionals will look, and these are wellness health professionals. These are not, you know, mainstream providers. We'll look at the patient's med chart and review it and figure where can we begin in this process to say, you know, something like Prilosec, for example, something small that can be changed and altered through diet, you know, through a nutrition, a new way of looking at life, be nutritional modifications, through natural remedies to help them ease anything that's going on in their intestinal tract and their GI tract to help them. So it is to start going through the process and starting small and slowly getting the patient to come off of medications with the balance of nutrition, naturals, to help their body kind of form the healing properties it once had naturally back to, back to, back to good health and wellness. And then eventually we can go through each one and get the patient to a balance, a homeostasis where they're not dependent on prescribed medications. Now, it's not a process for everyone. It's going to be one that has to be looked at by the team of health professionals. And there might be some meds we can't say you have to stop this because their bodies become so used to it for so long. They may have to stay on, but we may be able to reduce the dose. But yeah, it's just the opposite of overprescribing. It's just helping the patient back off some of their meds and have a better feeling, right? They're going to feel better. It's kind of crazy to think this, but we are told meds make you feel better, but they're not feeling better. They're sleepy, they're sluggish, they have brain fog. Um, Especially the elderly, they're having increased risk of falling. And then they're having fractures due to falling. Like all these things are related to being on too many meds over prescribing. So that's kind of the basis of de-prescribing, which we are working at in America's frontline doctors with Gold Care Health and Wellness Centers. I'm on the team strategizing and figuring out how we do this to help the patient. Really, that's what we wanna do. So give us give us a an example. Uh, you already used the example of um, uh, Prilosec. Give us some example of more of more drugs that people might not need if they just change their diet. Um, well, even cholesterol meds. That's a huge one because, and I tell people all the time, I'm amazed at people that come to me and say, "My doctor told me to start taking you know this this statin, and it's it's Lipitor, Crestor, whatever." And they've been on in a few months. So I go, well, how do you feel since you started taking it? Crummy. It's not, I, am I supposed to feel this bad because my cholesterol is a little on the high side? And I'll talk to them about 
saying, well, listen, you could probably benefit from just changing something small in your life as your diet and go to an optimal diet, which is something we're working on too in the health and wellness team, pulling out processed foods, pulling out sugars, you know, pulling out a lot of the junk that really our body can't process. We're not made to really eat Twinkies. You know what I mean? Like no, we're, right, actually, right. we're we <laughs> everything that comes that's grown, we really should be eating more of that. And it doesn't mean you don't treat yourself. I don't want to tell people don't have birthday cake at a birthday party, right? Like, but it's just knowing what to put in your body all the time to, to help your body stay at wellness. And so cholesterol is another one I think of with diet. Um, I can think of some with feeling good about yourself. When you eat junk food, it will affect the way your brain chemicals work. So you will think you're depressed because you're not giving your body the nutrients it needs. And again, you can taper off some of these medications, add nutritional support and even natural you know, therapeutics, natural supplements to bring our body back as we transform and eventually the naturals too. I'm not saying go from prescribed to nutraceuticals. Okay. I'm trying to, it's a balance to then wean off the naturals once your body's at a homeostasis. Exactly. And that's what I tell patients all the time. And I think that's so powerful, Jen, because I, I had a, a Twitter, a Twitter tweet kind of go viral and there were some pharmacists that started arguing with me and they called me all kinds of names, quackery and, you know, all, all this sell supplements and all that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. if they knew me, they would know that over and over again, I, I talk to patients and say, look, supplements are just that they're meant to supplement a good diet already. And I don't suggest, you know, replacing 20 drugs with 20 supplements. You know, I think if you're on two or three good supplements, that's probably all you need for general health. For in for for specific disease state type stuff, you might need something um, more acutely for a supplement. But other than that, I mean, I'm not a big believer in taking too many supplements either. You, it, we we should get it from the food we eat, the exercise we get, the sleep we get. That that's all we need. Our bodies were created wonderfully. Let's just take care of them. Correct. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I I just want people to know that. I feel people will then just run out and buy supplements. And think that that's the answer. And again, we're just get the mindset. It's a pill, but it's actually, you know, with what we've been given and, you know, that our body is so amazing, treat it well, and it will treat you well, you know, so it kind of works both ways. Like if you actually think about it, if, and if we, we've been so sadly, society's been so focused to just let's fix this, let's fix this quick. And there's no work involved, but when we don't put the work in, then we don't have the value. You know, in the- exactly. I mean, I tell you what, you you are preaching to the choir, Jen. I've used that so much. It's like nothing for free or nothing that's easy means anything. No. I mean, so, you know, whether it be a quick fix diet, well, I can lose 20 pounds in, in two weeks. That's fine, um, which, you know, is possible if you want to starve yourself. And I'm not saying that's not necessarily bad or good. Um, because it can be motivating, maybe not 20 pounds in two weeks, but, but, right. um, you know, long-term you have to change your habits. You know, I mean, that's what it is long-term and it's not, it's not easy. If it was easy, there would be no overweight people. It's no different than, you know, exercise. If it was easy to run a marathon and all you had to do was get up and run a marathon, everybody would do it. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be very valuable. Mm-hmm. And there's something about it at, for mental health when you do set goals and you reach those goals, like there's something about it in your, in your heart, in your gut, in your mind, like it's all connected. And I always say this too, people seem to miss 
overall health and wellness is three components, mind, body, and spirit. And when you take on your, your, the empowerment to do it for yourself, because you know, you're going to feel better, look better when I mean, who doesn't want to look better. Right? So there you go. You're going to get feel better. You're going to look better and you're just going to be better. It's a component of all three. And so it takes, it takes a, a mindset and it takes drive and, and not to do it for, you know, like you're saying, just to lose 20 pounds in a few weeks to know that it's a lifestyle change, but knowing that it's, it's really to keep you healthy because we're realizing with big pharma, they're they're using the idea of keeping you healthy only for profit and it's the idea are they really keeping you healthy or are they keeping you coming back as a lifelong patient so that they can make money off of you and that's really what people have to question where where do i want to be do i want to be talking to people like sean and jen who really seem to care i'm not telling you to do this i want to see you run or i want to see you get out and, and exercise super hard i'm doing it because there's a reason we're meant to move we're meant to put certain foods in our body. There's where it's not meant to be what we've been lied to to think it is. And so we've got to come back back to the basics. Well, and how powerful is it, Jen, for pharmacists like you and I that tell patients that and that our main source of income is from dispensing pharmaceuticals. So yeah. when we tell them how important it is for diet, exercise, sleep, all that stuff, it's yeah. very, very powerful. So Thank you for standing up and educating people. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And it, it feels good to be in good company. I, I've been, I felt, Janet and I have felt alone for the last 20 years. <laughs> and now all these pharmacists we're getting in contact with, they're like, oh yeah, no, we think the same. <laughs> yep. That's actually one of the things when I first reached out to America's frontline doctors, it was March of last year. So a year ago now, that was the one thing I said, I cannot be the only one. I said, I cannot be because my circle I had around me of pharmacists were now mainstream. I didn't have anyone in my close connection that thought like I did. And I said, it just can't be me. I said, it just can't be me. And I reached out. And you know what I was told was, what do you want to bring? What is it you want to bring to America's frontline doctors? And I went, wow. Every other time people said, we need you for this, this and this. Right now, somebody's actually asking me. And I remember walking my dog and, and on the walk, I just prayed and I said, why, what am I supposed to do? Like I am from a small town in upstate New York. Like I don't have, I don't have podcasts. I have any, any, any reach, but God just said, you're not alone. So let's get out there and let's do this. So I said, okay. And that's what I did. I reached out and said, you know what? There can't be, there's gotta be others like me. I cannot be the only pharmacist knowing what I know, seeing what I see. And they said, yes, let's, let's begin. And that's where the journey began. And that's why I'm here. And I'm, I, I really am thankful, truly blessed because I meet pharmacists like you who much longer than me felt alone. But now I feel like we're growing in, in huge numbers of people like us who think that this way and want to truly help the patient. It's amazing. I'm so, so thankful. I love it. And thanks for reaching out to me and, you know, having me be a part of Americans Frontline's doctors. It's, 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 it's truly an honor and a privilege. Um, and I'm excited to see where this group goes. And I just want to put a reminder out there is that, you know, this group, American Frontline Doctors was started because of COVID, but um, we need to make sure that, you know, we keep moving forward because there's going to be another COVID like thing that is created or that happens and help. We need like-minded healthcare professionals that are going to do the best, what's best for the patient and let the patient choose instead of having mandates and, um, you know, let the mainstream media choose what is best for the, for the patient. So um, we need to keep going with it and we need to also not let them 
not let the media, the government, and other healthcare professionals that were in the COVID mix that were not letting patients make choices, we need to make sure that they're not forgotten and that they're held accountable. Correct. And I have exciting news with Great. our, with our uh, AFLDS, you know, webpage is at the end of this week, we're going to have a pharmacist link on here with information for pharmacists, information for patients. So keep an eye on, on it. It should be coming out this week. Something I'm excited after a year of being having a pharmacy department, it's now going to be a website link through our main main portal. So it's very exciting to see this come to fruition. There's so many things happening right now with, as you know, with us as pharmacists within America's Frontline Doctors, and I'm happy to spearhead it, get us the acknowledgement and the recognition we truly, we truly deserve because we are standing on the front lines with these doctors, with America's Frontline Doctors, with the lawyers they have, with the nurses. They also have pharmacists that believe and are standing with them. So we're uniting the healthcare fields that have been kind of, you know, kept apart. So it's nice to see us come together and work as a team, again, for the benefit of the patient. This is not doing anything for us personally, because we're, you know, it's just making sure we're doing the right thing, creating the new going forward that's going to be better and, and not, Dr. Gold says this all the time, a non-corruptible system, because the system we have now is corruptible. So we are working on making things better, and it's better for the patient, better for the providers, and it's going to be great to see to see what comes. A lot of great things happening. I love it. Thank you, Jen. And there is American Frontline Doctors website. Um, go to that to check it out um, and stay tuned for the pharmacist link. And I, I just appreciate you spearheading this effort, Jen. It is not, it is not easy um, to organize stuff like this. So, so keep us all together so we can do what's right for the patient. Thank you so much. Oh, anytime for sure. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you listeners and viewers for tuning in today. Um, I really I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the listeners and viewers. And um, one thing I can say is that, you know, I want to let you guys know that the reason we do this podcast, I say it over and over again, and I've been doing it in my pharmacy for 20 some years, is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health, period. That's what I want to do. So it is up to you and your doctor and pharmacist. And ultimately, up to you to make the decision and part of our what what our goal is is to help educate you to to make the best informed decision so thank you for tuning in monday we'll be taking the day off because i will be racing in moab and i'm super excited about that so i'll be recycling an episode if you guys have any topics or any episodes you want to hear again, please let me know. We've got on our YouTube channel over 900 educational videos now um, from all kinds of topics. And of course, this one today will not be on YouTube um, because it would be censored. So uh, thank you, Jan, for being on. Thank you, listeners and viewers. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.